And as we open to Acts chapter 17 and continue our study in God's Word, we are so blessed to have the Word before us. And it's not because a particular person's bringing it, it's because the Word of God is strong and powerful, and it's to every generation, and it's for you, and it's for me. And we just praise God that he, he longs to bring us into uh, obedience to his word. So I'm going to read Acts 17, 10 through 15. Guys, this is a, a study of the church of Berea. They were more noble than other churches and other people. And we'll see what is meant by that as we study this passage. So let me read verses 10 through 15. Then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in together, okay? Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Father, help us learn from these scriptures. We want to be people that think well. We, we want to study what the Word says and we want to understand how it relates to our life. We are people of reason. We are people who want to explain things. We are people who see Christ proven time and time again. Faith has no conflict with learning, with reason. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us see that very thing today. In my own strength, I can't do it. We can't do it. We cling to the promise from your word which says that if we would, if we would sow your word out there, that you would bring a harvest that will not come back without producing fruit. So we need desperately you to come and act according to this promise. Teach us your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, don't let your friends tell you that Christianity is a just-so religion. It's not a let-go-and-let-God kind of religion. It's not sort of a, well, I believe it, and you know, even though I don't have all these answers, I'm just going to jump out and, and hope for the best. Christianity is a study of reality. Christianity is a noble way of thinking which takes seriously the word of God and ties loose ends together so that we can understand the world we live in well. It's not a religion for the meek-minded or weak-minded. It's a place we come to understand and Christ we come to to 
uh, grow. If you look, last week we studied what it looks like when we send the message out with learning and understanding. You remember that, 17.2, last week Paul was in Thessalonica, and you note what he did there, he reasoned with them. He took the scriptures and said, do you, do you get this? There was a mental wrestling that took place in the heart and mind of the sender of the message. And that's what we should be as Christians. Out in the culture, we should be asking, what questions are they asking? How do they need to be interacted with? What does Scripture say about the issue of the day for them today? Look at verse 3, because this is all last week. We're studying, last week was a study for the sender. This week is a study for the receiver, or what we should look for in those that are receiving the Word of God. In the sender, verse 3, he explained things from Scripture. He gave them a sense of, now if we take seriously the word of God from Genesis to Malachi, this is what we should see happening in the world around us. And we'll look at that pretty much, pretty extensively as we go this morning. So he explained it. And then he proved. He proved from scripture that it was necessary that the Messiah had to die. This was a great stumbling block 25 years after Jesus was, was gone. Huge stumbling block, because the Jews there would have been saying, we expected him to come and set up a political kingdom and overthrow Rome, and since he didn't overthrow Rome, we don't think Jesus could possibly be the Messiah. And what Paul did was prove from Scripture that the Messiah had to die and had to be raised again. This is a crucial part of the story. There's no, without death and resurrection, there's no Messiah. And so the, the people of the first century here were getting their questions answered by the receivers who were learners, who were thinking about what the scriptures say. So if last week is a study in how we as senders of the message interact with the culture around us, this week is a study in what we should look for when we see healthy reactions and responses from the people around us. Uh, let's keep our eyes open uh, to some of these healthy responses so that we can be um, put in a position where we really uh, make the most impact. When I was a kid, I used to listen to uh, Brewers Baseball, WTMJ, late at night. So I'd go to bed, I was, you know, alone in my room, and I would listen to the end of the game. Bob Euchre would sign off and uh, wish us to come back tomorrow. But a lot of times I wasn't ready for sleep yet. And do you know that at night, when there's clear skies in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, my little junky transistor radio could get baseball broadcasts as far away as WWOR in New York? And then if I, could, if I could just move it just right and kind of have my hand in the air the right way... I could get AM 1120, KMOX, and I could listen to Jack Buck and the end of the St. Louis Cardinals games when I was a kid. I liked St. Louis when I was a kid well, until they beat us in the World Series in 82, but they were national leaguers, and I could not stomach the Cubs, so I could at least go for the, uh, the Cardinals. But it was a lot of work to receive the message. It took me at the right conditions. It took the, the Brewer game being over. It took just the right place on the little junky AM radio. And then if I avoided 1130 in Milwaukee, I could get to 1120 in St. Louis and still hear. And still hear. And if people are going to hear 
The gospel of Jesus Christ in this day and age, it's going to require some work on your part to be a learner and some work on their part to be a learner. You don't have to do all the work. If someone is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be at work in their life, drawing them in and leading them along. And so parents of little ones, as we've just dedicated our children to the Lord, we want to know what are the signs that our little children are receiving, beginning to receive the message. What should we be looking for? And so that is exactly what Berea was all about. Well, take a look at the map here. We uh, were seeing that last week we were in Thessalonica, and uh, you see that uh, he goes a little bit south and west from Thessalonica. He goes down to Berea. This beautiful, perfect road, the Via Ignatia, would have gone straight west from there. It would have gone straight west, but he goes south. And I want you to think of it like this. It's almost like Paul came to Sheboygan. And here are the ways I mean that. The main road connected Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. That's the Via Ignatia. And, and the little tributary to the, to the southwest in this case is this little road that's I-43. It goes to other places. In fact, uh, uh, Berea is known as the off-the-beaten-track city. It was less important. It was less populated. It was not a city center. It didn't have a, 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 a port where people like sailed in and sailed out. And so what happened was they chased him out of Thessalonica and he went for safety for his life and he goes to Berea to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, a new place. And I want you, and even to this day, Berea is a city of about 60,000 60, people, uh, about the size of Sheboygan. So imagine Paul coming here. That helps me, it helped me this week as I was thinking about this Uh, this pathway that he was taking. But that brings us to our first point as we read verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Noble thinking about Jesus Christ is going to be marked by courageous mission. Now, obviously, in this example, Paul is already convinced of the things of Jesus Christ. He's had a Damascus Road experience. He's been converted. He understands that now the rest of his life is to be on mission for Christ Jesus. And so the courageous mission here that we see, uh, we got to see, if, if I'm you, I'm asking, what do you mean by that? Uh, how are we seeing the courageous mission here? And here, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing Paul's life put in peril, threatened, You see that the the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. There's danger here. And he moves on to the next place. Why do we, why does Paul keep proclaiming Jesus Christ alone when it puts his life in danger, it puts his freedom on the line, it puts his comfort in jeopardy, and all of us know that it puts our relationships in distress. We maintain our mission to multiply disciples of Jesus Christ, not because it's easy, but because the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life itself. It is better to stay in the love of Christ than preserve your life in this world. It is better to know Christ and know God by faith than to live another 24 hours in this world. 
Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. And Paul would say, I have to continue on this mission. I have to continue teaching and preaching. Paul's life contains shipwrecks and imprisonments and intimidation and beatings and stonings for which they left him dead. Though rejected at one place, he courageously proclaims Christ again as soon as he is awake and wherever and whenever there is an audience. And I say to you and I say to myself, sometimes rejection might change your audience, but it will never change your mission. At that place where you've been bringing the gospel to the same person over and over again, and they're just tired of it. It's obvious they don't want to hear it anymore. And there's a part of you that needs to chill. It's not that you lose sight of the goal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it's that you understand that you are called to the mission even if the people you're called to say no to the mission you're called to. You're called to keep on. You're called to keep going. And so Paul's life containing all these things, and yet he remained faithful. How and why? And here are a couple of observations that helped me this week as I was thinking through how Paul could continue to do this. Number one, he had received the mission from God. God told him, uh, if all your friends are gone, keep going. If the world around you doesn't think you're doing a noble thing, keep going. If uh, you are displaced and you have to look for a, a, a new setting, keep going. Keep going. Be faithful. Paul and his disciples have received this directive from God and it's carried down to us. All authority in the universe is given to Christ Jesus and he has people in Sheboygan County that have yet to bow the knee to him. And you're going to bring the gospel to him this week. That's your job. It's my job. You say, I'm, I'm weeping. I know. How can I keep on? Can I give you a couple of clues of how Paul kept on? Look at verse 10 again. The brothers, and the word there is really brothers and sisters, the congregation. They said, Paul, you're, it's too dangerous for you here in Thessalonica. This is not for you anymore. You're going to die if you stay here. It's too much risk. It's too much pain. You need to move on to a different place and start again. And you know what? You need a congregation of people in your life that are speaking into your life to help you see when that weight is too heavy for you. You need to listen to them. You need to put yourself in accountability to them and submission and, and ask what they think and humble yourself before them because many times it's the people around you who see what you can't clearly see. Because sometimes it's time to stay. It's time to double down. It's time to make Christ known even more. And sometimes it's time to go to the next city. And your brothers and sisters can help you. Note the next thing here. Not only the congregation that they're a part of, they sent Paul and Silas. You need a friend who is so close to you that understands the nuances of everything you're going through. And when you're weeping or when you're in danger, when you don't want to keep going or when you want to just sit back and coast, they will say to you, we got to keep going. We agreed we were going to keep going here, didn't we? Isn't the next thing the next thing? Aren't we going to Berea now? Don't they need to hear and don't the people at your school need to hear? And don't the people at your doctor's appointment need to hear? And don't the people who bring you your mail need to hear? And, and, and don't all of those people? And listen, I'm, I'm talking to myself, my friends. 
talking to myself as well, but Paul got this mission from God, and he took it seriously. So rejection changed his audience, but it didn't change his mission. God has yet to be born again disciples in Sheboygan. Everyone in Sheboygan hasn't heard this message. You know that? Everyone at your workplace, this isn't old news to all of them. And so we need to double down. And then the last thing I want to say on this topic before we move on is this. Uh, if Jesus needed to suffer as Messiah, uh, you and I need to suffer as those who belong to Messiah. The scriptures make it very clear that the way that God is going to make Christ known is through the suffering of the saints. If you look at this next picture that, that appears, this is the synagogue that's uh, in Berea to this day. Uh, it's the, as you can read there, the most ancient synagogue in northern Greece. This one was built on the same site of the old synagogue, but this was built in 1850. And if you look at the last picture, uh, this picture shows this is where Paul really stood. You know, a lot of times uh, in the Middle East and, and in Greece, they will guess. They'll say, well, we're pretty sure that's where Golgotha is. We're pretty sure this is the road they walked. We're pretty sure this is where they stood. In uh, Berea, this next picture, they're sure that's where Paul stood. When he came to Berea, to present Christ to them. You see the picture there? They want to be known as the noble people. And so you see all the Bereans are sitting there. Okay, we're listening. We're listening. We're taking it in. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But uh, I say all that to say that Paul's suffering was not incidental. Paul's suffering was the way that God intended for the people around him to perceive Christ Jesus. Do you know uh, Colossians 1.24 says, now, this is Paul writing, who is the one who's suffering here. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. We, we remain courageous in our mission because in remaining courageous in our mission, we are filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. Can I just tell you, you don't improve Christ's affliction at all. You don't finish it. You don't put the, the icing on the cake. It's nothing like that. The idea that you fill up the sufferings is as if to say that in this generation, we need a billboard of people who are willing to suffer and be faithful in mission to Jesus Christ so that, that all of our friends and neighbors can see he's better than life. So all of our friends and neighbors can see we actually uh, value and treasure Jesus and the loving kindness we have in God and the message and the, that we've been sent to proclaim from him more than, we, uh, more than we value living life in this world. It's our highest priority and our, our highest value. And so Colossians 1.24 says, well, this is what we're called to do. Fill up Christ's afflictions. You be a billboard of suffering, faithful suffering in this generation so that you can put on display Jesus Christ. We're agents of suffering. But as Paul and Silas reach Berea, note that there are reasons to be encouraged. The group, group of Bereans, they begin to respond. They begin to respond immediately. The Bereans are more noble-minded. And uh, if we just go, uh, let's just go to the next slide, okay? So we're, we're on this concept that noble thinking about Jesus Christ will be marked by courageous mission. It's also going to be marked by genuine belief, real belief. Um, 
Verse, 12, verse 11 says, uh, now the Jews, these Jews were more noble. That word noble is a word that speaks of the birth, the birth of their, uh, their nobility. So they were born with kind of the silver spoon in their mouth. Now, any Thessalonians who would read this passage would say, you've got to be kidding me. Thessalonica is a world city. We're cosmopolitan. It's the Chicago of the, of the day. We have better art. We have better, smarter you know, engineers. We have taller buildings. We have wealthier people. Everything about being a Chicago guy, person, is better. Everything about being a Thessalonican is better than being a Berean. And Paul purposely excuse me, Luke purposely says, well, the Jews at Thessalonica are not so noble. And guys, this is the thinking that we need to, we need to embrace as Christian thinkers in 2020 in the U.S. and around the world. The noblest thing that we can do is not have a lot of money. It's not to have a, a beautiful amount of education, the noblest thing you can do, whether you are uh, uh, working in the factory or you are in the military or you are an executive at Kohler or you are someplace in between, all of those things, the noblest thing you can do is not what you do for a living. It's how you approach the scriptures. Do you have a mind to consider the possibility that Jesus is the Christ? Will you think like that? That's what noble thinking is all about. The word noble thinking also implying open-minded. Open-minded. And so as we look through this, this thinking that, that uh, the Bereans were engaging in, note that, uh, that God's word is the authority over them. And so Paul is, is presenting the, the, the realities that, guys, first things first, we need to study the scriptures because the scriptures are our authority. God's word is preserved and true. Look at 17, verse 2. Paul went in, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explained to them from the scriptures. Verse 3 again, proving to them from the scriptures. And verse 13, look, the, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that what? The word of God is proclaimed in Berea. Paul's example. So, guys, we live in a world that would say, look, I don't care about the word of God. I don't care about the scriptures. I think they are man-made. I think we've lost a lot of things through history. I think they've been used to control people all these years. There's no proof of this. There's no proof of that. And to that person, can I just say that uh, most people do not uh, reject God because they've read the Bible. They don't receive the Bible and go, okay, I, I don't like that. Most people, most of the time people reject God's word because they've already in their heart rejected God. They don't like that option. And so they find reasons to reject God's word as well. So what do we do? We live in a generation of people that either dismiss God's word or twist God's word. What are you going to do with that? And I would just say Paul's example here is a big help to you and me. Paul's example, he rejoiced in the scriptures. Okay? You don't have to take it seriously. I take it seriously. I'm not going to wait until you say you're 100% on board. I'm just going to tell you, when you're 100% on board, this is what it teaches. We're going to go back to the Word time and time again. 
And so in Acts 17.3, again, he shows us that. That's exactly what he does, and he stays on it. He proved from scriptures, and he has strategically laid out the way that all of us should broadcast or proclaim the scriptures. So one thing you should do is rejoice in the scriptures and present them as authoritative. Here's the second encouragement to you. Have a few reasons why you believe the scriptures and make them truly accessible to your friends. Uh, Any of us could say, well, the scriptures were given over 1,500 years, 15 centuries. The scriptures were written by 40 different people from three different continents in all different languages. The scriptures have one theme, and even though the world we live in today talks about all the contradictions, the reality is that the contradictions can all be explained and that the scriptures tell the truth. They have one theme, though they were written over 1,500 years. We can talk about things. We can say that we can remind people that we believe that God wrote the scriptures, and God, at his nature, cannot lie. If God can create a, a universe, he can certainly write a book. Though my friends who have written books have said they're roughly the same difficulty level, but guys, we believe that God can do these things, and he has done these things. God cannot bear false witness. The best thing you can do for your friend that does not take the word of God seriously is to pray for them. It's to go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you, would you help this person come to a position where they will receive the word and take it seriously? So we take the word of God seriously, and uh, it, when we come to this concept of genuine belief, we're also, uh, we're also open-minded about Jesus. You know the world tells us we're closed-minded about Jesus? They're like, yeah, you Christians, you're so closed-minded about everything. Really? Uh, this word open-minded, it, it's basically saying and saying, okay, okay, you Jews, come in here for a minute. You know that the Messiah doesn't add up. That, that, that the Messiah of the Old Testament that you read and you came to expect all these years and the ministry of Jesus, these are two separate things. Let's come together and think about how it is possible that the Jesus of Nazareth, we're going to talk a lot about the humanity of Jesus here, that the Jesus of Nazareth that lived as a human in this world is the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. Are you open-minded enough to consider, let's get beyond the, the, the emotion of rejecting him and not wanting him. Let's ask, if we come to the biblical data, can we understand that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah? Genesis 3.15 says he will descend from Eve. That the Messiah, you, you remember God made the world, we sinned, we deserve death because we, in God's world, rebelled against his leadership and rebelled against his ways. He says, before we sinned, he said, in the day you sin, you will die. But he doesn't put us to death in that moment, does he? He graciously comes and lets us live, and the first thing he does is say, I'm going to make a promise here. I will send one. I will send one who will take away the sins of the world. He will crush the head of the evil one. He will be a descendant of Eve. A child. He will be a person. He will deal a fatal blow to the evil one. We could go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This man will be a blessing to everyone in the world. This man who comes, regardless of their ethnicity, he will be a blessing to all. Isaiah chapter 9, 
And this is a real stumbling block for the people in AD, 6, AD 50 when this was written, when this took place. He will, the nations will be on his shoulders. All the governments of the entire world will be on his shoulders and he will reign supreme. And that's the one I'm telling you. Because you see what's happening here in verse 11? These Jews were more noble. They were open-minded about it. They received the word with all eagerness. Okay, tell me about this. Receive the word, the concept there is uh, somebody who loves hospitality. The house was ready and they welcomed their guests. Come on in. Come on in, word. Come on in. And by the way, parents, when your children begin to welcome the word, they begin to want to know what it says. That's a good step. It's not the final step, but it's a good first step. Let me understand what the word is saying. I welcome it in. They received the word with all eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures. That is, they, it's like, that's a legal term, and it's like they put it on the stand. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cross-examine this to see if Genesis 12 could actually refer to Jesus. We're going to put this back and forth and try to understand how this works back and forth. And so they examined it, and I think that's what was happening here in Berea is on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday in the synagogue. Paul sat with them, and they kept asking questions. How can this be? How could it be that the, that the Messiah, the, the government is on his shoulders, and he's not here? How can the government be on his shoulders and Jesus not be here with us now? He didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't set up a throne. He's not on David's throne. And that's where Paul would say, ah, well, we, we've got that a little bit mixed up. He's going to rule when he comes a second time. He came the first time to suffer and die in our place and, raise, and to conquer death forever. He will come a second time to set up his kingdom in this world. Get your eyes ready for that one because it's coming. Maybe in Isaiah 9 uh, or Isaiah 53, uh, he would reason with them and say, look, he had to suffer. This is another shocker to first century Christians. The Messiah will be powerful. In fact, it's so shocking to them that as they rejected Jesus, the majority of the people rejected Jesus, in the second century, they embraced a guy named Bar Kukba, who was another Messiah. And they said, because he basically uh, re- rejected and resisted Rome, and for a few years, there was an, an actual like uh, independent Israeli state in the second century, and so they held up Bar Kukba. He's our Messiah. And so as they say no to Jesus, the majority of the Jews were looking for other Jews who would be Messiah, who would actually set up independent Israel. Bar Kukba failed miserably. But Isaiah 53 says he had to suffer. In fact, the punishment, which is deserved on us, had to be put on him. In fact, by his suffering, we are healed. He would come to and for his people, but we would reject him. And Paul and Silas would say, do you see that we rejected him? Do you see that he had to die? Micah 5.2, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Hosea 11.1, the Messiah will be called out of Egypt, even though he was a fugitive. Uh, Isaiah 61, he will preach freedom to the captives, and with no money the poor will come, and they will hear the gospel and be transformed into the kingdom of God. Psalm 16.10, he will not let his Holy One see corruption. So even though Jesus died, he wouldn't stay in the, the tomb very long. And then Paul himself writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
He had to die and be raised according to the Old Testament scriptures. And so he reasoned with them. And maybe you are here today and you have got all these questions. Could Jesus be this guy? Could he actually be the Messiah? Can I tell you that the church exists so that you can sit on Monday with a friend or on Wednesday night with a friend or in Bible study or on the phone or through text? We are here to say we want to reason with you. We want to understand where you're coming from. We want your faith to be based on reason and thinking. We want to help. And so, verse 11 these more noble Jews, they were receiving the word. That's a good first step with all eagerness. They were examining the scriptures, and that's a good step. But can I tell you, it's just another step. If you're at the place in your life where you're examining the scriptures and comparing and thinking, and you know lots of answers, lots of answers, you, can I just tell you, you might not be there yet. You might not be in right relationship with God by faith through Jesus Christ yet until you receive and believe Jesus Christ. You see that that's verse 12? All the Bereans were noble because they were really thinking this through. They were examining it day by day. But not all of the Bereans had faith in Jesus Christ. Many. Verse 12 says, many of them, therefore, believe. You know, in the New Testament, belief does not mean try to convince someone that there is a living God out there. If you have a friend who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe there's a God out there somewhere. Can I just tell you? You're on step one. Go back to the scriptures. Reason with them about the uniqueness and profound uh, uh, deity of Jesus Christ and his place in history. Go back to the scriptures. If you have a friend who says, yeah, you know, I know what the Bible says about all these things. Can I tell you that that doesn't mean anything. James chapter 3 says that the demons believe. They know what the scriptures say and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're not, they won't have their sins forgiven. So what is belief? I mean, noble thinking about Jesus Christ will be marked by genuine belief. What is genuine belief? Belief is the internal and whole person change of thinking that comes to the life-dominating reality that this universe was made by God, that he sent one Messiah, that Jesus is that Messiah, and you will not look for another. You believe wholly in Jesus Christ, that is, all of your person is banking on him, and you believe only in Jesus Christ, that is, him and him alone. He's the only hope. We're not saying Jesus plus traditions of the church. We're not saying Jesus plus uh, giving money. We're not saying Jesus plus a good show on Sundays. We're saying Jesus alone. So it is fully on Jesus and only on Jesus. Do you believe? Wholehearted? Life relinquishing? I used to treasure this in the world and I have come to realize that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. That's belief. Belief is accepting what Jesus said about himself wholly and fully in your heart. 
Belief is not an incremental outside change. Belief is not trying to get you to conform to something new. Belief is not that all religions want to make you a little bit better morally. Belief is repentance and trusting Jesus and Jesus alone and receiving him fully as your Messiah, as your Savior. Are you there? Because noble thinkers receive what the Word says about Jesus, and the Word says he's, he's the one. He's the one promised from the beginning. Before we close this section, it's really important that we emphasize something that Luke has been emphasizing for chapter after chapter after chapter. Take a look at that. Verse um, 12. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, the early church is built on the back and courage of women. The place of women in the early church and the church today is crucial. Do you see how they are courageous? Do you see in chapter 17 and verse number 5, excuse me, verse number 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. They put their life, the women put their life on the line to stand for Jesus. If we look back in chapter 16, we can see the story of Lydia. If we look in chapter 17, a little further in Athens, look down at verse 34. They're in Athens. But some men joined them and believed. Among them were Dionysius and the uh, Arapagite and a woman named Damaris. You turn the page. Chapter 18 starts with Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla, a key woman in the early church. These women were courageous. These women were welcoming. These women were uh, thoughtful. These women were fearless for their lives and fearful in the proper respect of, of Christ and God himself. These women were building blocks of the local church. And can I just tell you, we want to build with gladness our church on men and women who love Jesus Christ. There are different roles for men and women But we are one in Christ. And Paul himself would write in Galatians chapter 3, listen, in Christ Jesus, there is neither man nor woman. There is neither Jew nor Greek. We are building blocks together equal in Christ. How beautiful is it for us to value? How sad is it that I have to make a special statement for those of you that have felt overlooked, for those of you that have felt somehow oppressed or repressed through the years. There is a place place of nobility for fearless women as they trust the Lord. Well, noble thinking about Jesus Christ will be marked by, finally, brief opposition. Verses 10 and 14, Paul's life is on the line, and you say, well, John, why do you call it brief opposition? 2 Corinthians 4.17 is why I call it brief opposition, because Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 4.17, and he says that all the stuff he experienced, the shipwrecks, and the beatings, and the imprisonments, and the seizure of stuff and the, uh, all of the things that made life so difficult to live, he calls them brief, he calls them momentary, and he calls them light. Think about the broken relationship you have because of the gospel, missed opportunities you might have had at work because of the gospel, places you went or didn't go because of the gospel. 
stuff that you've given up, and now we think of how, how life is in this generation. And, and I would just say this, all suffering is going to be redeemed by the hand of God, not just suffering that has come because of the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, all suffering is going to be light compared, and it's preparing us. It's adding to the weight of glory that we're going to receive. You see how he did that in 2 Corinthians 4? The suffering is light, but the glory is weighty. It's heavy. Friends, I don't know what you have given up this week to name the name of Jesus. I don't know how you've suffered in your world. I don't know what you've been going through, but I can tell you this, that even if the opposition you experience is not brief in the sense that it doesn't go away soon, it could be that the opposition you face in your home with regard to Jesus Christ lasts till your dying breath. And you have the next 20 years or 30 years or unknown amount of years to look forward to hardness and difficulty and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Paul would say, yeah, that's momentary. And that's light compared to what's in store for those who are faithful. Compared to what's in store for those that embrace Christ and walk according to his ways. Friends, let's be noble-minded Let's realize that the difficulty we face with, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about government overreach. Maybe you're thinking government is overreached. Um, I really encourage you to follow persecution.org, Voice of the Martyrs, and see what our friends and fellow brothers and sisters are going through around the world as they have their homes burned down and their churches burned down. And as they have stuff seized and as they go to jail and as their life is threatened and some of them are beaten and some of them are killed. And that's not to say that we should just be okay with government overreach, but that is just to say, could you just, can we have some perspective? We haven't been called to give up anything significant yet. And maybe this season is calling us and giving us the spine and the strength and the preparedness to give up significant things gladly for the call of Jesus Christ on our lives. It'll be brief. It'll be light. It'll be momentary compared to the weight of glory that it's preparing us for. So let's be noble-minded. Let's think deeply about Scripture. Let not let anyone think that Christianity is not for thinkers. It's for a special breed of thinkers, noble. And let us value the people in our culture that are nobly thinking about Jesus Christ. Not sitting back and just thinking, well, if they think nobly, they might get there. But moving on and saying, let's bring them to a place of genuine faith and asking God to redeem them. Let's tune in to the Word of God and let all the other thinking in this world go. Let's do it happily. And let's do it together. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you for these moments when we can come and reason from your scriptures. And we thank you that your word answers the questions. It sets forth Christ as the unique Messiah. The one promised from thousands of years ago. He fulfilled all those promises, and we believe wholeheartedly he will return again. We have a category of thinking for what the Word says. Help us be noble-minded. Help us be gentle with those who disagree. You aren't going to use our quick wit and sharp tongue. 
to bring someone to Jesus. You're going to bring an internal conviction in their own hearts that they absolutely must have Jesus and that everything else that they've tried for satisfaction and hope and significance in this world simply pales compared to the surpassing riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Help us as we go from this place. Help us go with a sense of solidarity and unity where we do live in a time that is difficult. And so help us not be moved even for a moment from the mission you've called us to. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.